1: In the last two podcasts, When Operational Excellence Hits a Nine-Foot Wall and Myths and Misconceptions of the Cold-Calling World, Chris, Corey, and Valerie Schlitt, CEO and founder of VSA, have been discussing various aspects of striving for operational excellence. In this third and final podcast on the subject, these three experts turn to the topic of coaching. Listen to what they have to say about how coaching works best and the challenge of doing it in a today's work from home world. Valerie explains that what she misses is the way coaching worked before COVID when she and her team were in the same office with many of them calling on the same program. And they would sit next to each other and listen to each other and hear what went on on each other's calls and then copy it. This passive coaching among coworkers isn't available now. And though active coaching by management isn't possible right now, it has to be done in a different way. In the past, using Connect and Sell, Valerie's team at VSA listened to call recordings together and then discussed calls as a team in order to teach and learn what works and what doesn't when cold calling. Like so many aspects of working from home, coaching is so much more difficult when your team members are scattered across town and sometimes across the country or around the globe. As with most Market Dominance Guys podcasts, the conversation often wanders into related areas of sales. Hear what these three have to say about the often misaligned purposes and practices of two related departments, sales and marketing. And then listen while Chris suggests a cure for the misalignment. Yep, you're going to want to hear this.
2: Empathy, as Chris and I talked about in many, many episodes of how do you, It can it be taught, can it be beaten out of you, can it take a pill, but how can you create that or engender that in a conversation with a stranger and yeah. we don't have many tools at our disposal right we have our tone we have our pace we have our inflection we have our intonation right? we have our pauses and in the right combination of that like a good musical selection of notes you can't just go to the wall and say give me a g give me a b flat give me an e and let me just throw it together you got to kind of play around with it and I think as Chris has said with his new keyboard here, sometimes you, just, you know, just play and then flow and then pretty soon you have a nice harmony and a nice melody and for, before you know it, what are you playing? Well, I'm just playing my own thing, but it sounds like it's something. Who wrote that? I did, I'm just meandering on the keyboard, but it sounds like something. And sometimes the trained ear, right, can hear that more than a newer rap, and you need mm-hmm. that power of that coaching to say, wait, wait, right there, that stammer that you incorporated, that's the right level of empathy and aw shucks and toe in the sand and vulnerability that's what we want now do it another 25 times today (laughs) (laughs) and make it sound like it's the first time you ever did it and that's what's challenging but that's what's fun if just like a good broadway actor knowing their farewell performance in cats has to be just and hit the marks as their opening performance of cats on broadway three years earlier that's true.
0: Yeah, Valerie, how do you how do you guys coach? I just heard somebody who is listening to a webinar this morning. I had to get over a bias that I have. I'm I'm working on this bias, which is the modern way of speaking, especially the, the way that imitates California speech, in which every oh. everything is a question, <laughs> so we can't say anything definite. I'll we speak have I'll to speak. keep asking one question right. after another. And we use the word like a lot because we don't want to say something is, but we can kind of say it's like. And so if we say like seven times in a sentence and then we sound really uncertain, then we're not offending anybody and everything's fine. Well, I'm sure I'm caricaturing a perfectly legitimate way of speaking that I'm just uncomfortable with. And then it makes me think that somebody doesn't want to stand behind what they're saying. So I was listening to this this morning and the substantive part was that only 20% of managers and sales do any coaching whatsoever. Now, I believe the number is above 3% actually. I'll be completely frank. I think almost nobody coaches, almost never, so to speak. And they think they're coaching, but what they're really doing is just holding a conversation at the end of the week in order to say how they used to do it back in the day when they were rough and tough, and maybe they'll listen to something or whatever, but how do you do it? Has it changed over time or how does your team do it? I mean, because drift is everywhere. I listened to Seth Weinstock, who's one of our top reps. He's not an SDR. He says, this guy's you know carries a big quota and, and makes it stick. And I listened to him today on a call and he opened it like this. I know I'm a bit of an interruption. It was death. You may as well put a gun to his head, right? Hey, there is no way that that's the same as I know I'm an interruption. That was the retreat into comfort, and comfort is the enemy of performance in everything that we do. And so here, one of one of the best in the world had done that, and I guarantee you he's totally unaware of it. I guarantee you that this is like a hitch in his backswing. He is totally unaware that that elbow came out and that club crossed the line and there was no way it's going anyway except dead, dead left into the water after this, right? But he doesn't know it. So how do you guys do it? How do you how do you formalize the continuous tuning that's needed? So
3: I will say that we don't do it enough. I, I look at our operation here as, okay, we've now worked with Connect and Sell. We have a great list source. We have great hires. And now we're a little tilted because I think we can be coaching more. We do coach this way. We have someone who's responsible for listening to taped calls, for giving, then setting one on ones with our reps and for coaching them. And they're supposed to talk to everyone. So there's, there's one person that does this, and we have about 50 people. So they get to everyone once a month. That's not enough. By the way, we are hiring someone right now whose only job is going to be to do that because as we look towards operational excellence, That is one of the things we need to bring us all up to the next level so the table's not tilted anymore. But we also have team meetings for each client, and we play calls for everybody in that team meeting, and we listen to good calls, bad calls, and dissect the calls as a team. So there's one group effort that's the one-on-ones with each individual agent and that is not frequent enough and then the other ones once a week where there will be some sample calls that will be either sent out earlier or actually played at the meeting itself and we dissect those and talk about what went well, what didn't go well. What I miss is before COVID, we were in the office and since we have a team-based approach, we could sit next to each other and many people were calling on the exact same program and they could listening to each other and see what went well and how did you do that and then copy that and we don't have that now so that's one of the deficits of this COVID environment that we need to make up for and hopefully this this new hire a lot is riding on him so we'll see how that goes but that's basically how we coach.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating as, as a challenge right coaching is always so interesting because sales is so athletic and top of the funnel sales is the most athletic part of sales, where split second timing, yes. management of your internal states of your emotions. You know, I compare it to facing major league pitching that the main trick to, to apparently to being a major league hitter is to hang in there against that curveball that looks like it's gonna hit you in an uncomfortable place. And it's, it's the management of your emotions and your expectations. And they call it picking up the spin. What you're really do, doing is trying to figure out if you got to bail out or if this is a great opportunity. And, mm-hmm. and that's a tough one in sales. And we do it all the time. We have to do it really, really quickly, which means we have to have practice. So it suggests that coaching is more, a lot of coaching is about what's in the moment mm-hmm. and how do we do that without getting close to the moment <laughs> it's like doing it the next day saying to me hey chris yesterday in this call you sounded like this like yeah but what did i feel like then yeah. why did i feel like that yeah. because that's probably why i did that is more about what i feel and maybe even about what i believe uh is yes. you know, my beliefs yes. might have moved out, out from under me a little bit and So I I just think it's the most fascinating part. And you're, you know, you guys are always working out of both of your companies. I see you essentially as this, you get talent, you put talent into the seat and make sure that they're equipped. You get a problem for them to solve, which is here, talk to these people and get appointments. And then you deal with the fact that they're human beings. It's those, that's kind of like the four-step process. The fourth is dealing with the fact that they're human beings. You're both experts at this, right? Do you feel that that's kind of a fair characterization and that the bulk of it is step four, <laughs> dealing with the fact that they're human beings?
3: So, yeah, there is only so much you can control with automation and with getting the right lists, And then you have, as you just said, the people. But we'll be back in a moment after a quick break. <music>
1: And sell. Welcome to the End of Dialing as You Know It. Connect and Cell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandcell.com. <laughs>
3: Honestly, in some ways, it's beautiful because someone might come up with a wonderful idea and a wonderful way of positioning, doing the opening, the script that I hadn't thought of, or the program manager hadn't thought of, or even the client or whoever's putting together that message. And then everyone can incorporate that or even the timing, but you can't control it. You're exactly right. And even the best people have bad days. That's the hard part. But it's also now, could be the beautiful part.
1: I
2: think I think it's more the latter. I think it is the beautiful part because you think about the ten thousand years ago, right, there was a caveman who wrote on a wall somewhere and in ink dye and berries, etc. And he wrote this picture of reindeer, right, going towards running in a in a in a meadow somewhere. So of all the things that they could write, so even ten thousand years ago, we are wired Right for beauty, we are wired for reflection. He saw it, he experienced it, it was beautiful enough in his own home to say, listen, you know what could go over our fire here is I need it, His own version of Van Gogh, 9,500 years before Van Gogh. And he, and he created it. And I think if we can get the reps, our team, ourselves, as sales professionals to come above ourselves and see what we do and how we perform it as, as an art form, as did I, Chris's example of the pitcher with the curveball ball and watching film. Why did that curve ball just hang a little bit too much over the plate and they took it 405 yards or 405 feet out of the park? Well, I think I came a little late on the delivery. I think maybe I didn't hunch my back and get enough spin into it. And so it's it's about the technique. Why did I get the bad review in Variety because of my play on, on Broadway? Well, the, the song that I just, I was a little flat. Maybe the orchestra overpowered my vocals. And, and I think as a sales rep, you'd say it's really about the performance. And once the rep feels comfortable that it's not about Valerie Schlatt or Chris Beale or Corey Frank, it's about the performance and don't worry. I'm going to get another audience in tonight and you have another shot and don't worry if you screw that up. Cause I got another audience coming in. I can keep bringing people in front of you. Don't worry about that. And by the, sixth week, the 10th week, we're going to be ready for the Tonys. So I think if folks can get beyond themselves, this, this, this bias that we have, get this mental toughness, this grit to realize that it really is. I'm not going to law school. I'm not going to medical school. What I do is I'm a professional salesperson. And these are nuances that I want to learn. And so help me, Valerie, help me, Chris, as my coaches, help me learn these so I get better and better and i think when you can kind of move beyond that where it's an art form i think reps seem to perform to those standards
3: yeah i i agree i think it also goes to the part that we need to be with other people to make things work and when when success starts coming and that that sense of accomplishment and enthusiasm and even the adrenaline that that's contagious to other people. It infuses an entire organization to go up another level. I do want to give a little story about myself here. I come from a family of professionals. My father and three siblings are all pediatricians. So being in sales was really shunned. And I remember when I started my job and I realized I was going to have to sell, I think I went through a depression. So I thought, oh, my God, it's not just you don't just open up the door and then people come to you. You actually have to sell. So I have really become a convert. It sells. If there was no one selling, we would not have this economy. We would not have any work for doctors to do. Mm -hmm. I think what we do is the most important thing in any ever.
0: Yeah, I agree. This is actually if somebody will ask me, given my background, what are you doing running Connect and Sell? Like, what's that? And run innovation at companies and build products and then all this kind of stuff. And and my answer is that we live in a world that has ROI in a funny place. It's rely on innovation. We literally, as a society, we rely on a pace of innovation. To deliver what it is that's going to allow us to continue to live together and thrive in the challenging conditions that Earth always provides for us, regardless of whether we think it's easy or not. All you have to do to see how hard it is, go watch that, watch that show Naked and Afraid sometime and see what people are like without their technology, which includes their clothing, by the way. <laughs> and, uh, and just, just see what it's like because uh, that's only 21 days and it ain't, it ain't good most of the time. <laughs> it's really not good. Yeah. And we're highly dependent and reliant on innovation and innovation generally doesn't make it to market. Yeah. And, and it is the point at which it founders is sales. It just, mm-hmm. I was talking to somebody today who has a company that they have a great innovation, but he said it's kind of a crowded space. And they're just getting going. They have the product, but they're just getting going. They're building their their sales machine. And he recognizes as the founder that the sales machine is going to make or break the company. And so he's out talking to people like me about how do I build that great sales machine? And of course, my advice to him was, well, before you build the sales machine, it's good to have one set of facts, which are what happens when you actually talk to people in your hypothetical target market? And I'm hoping that he'll go ahead and do that because I think it's a tragedy to take something as great as what they're doing at this company and not be able to take it to market in a way that allows that to happen before they starve. It's like naked and afraid, right? They got 21 days before they run out of money. It's not 21 days in this case. It may be a little longer, but it's not very long before as a company, I'll go back to the COVID thing. We ask our CFO, (laughs) oh, how long before we run out of money? (laughs) That's a big question in business. And it's sales that saves us from from becoming irrelevant. And I think you guys, um, you too, and your organizations and the others that do similar kinds of work, essentially are bringing lifeblood to innovations, which are of great value ultimately to the people who buy them. And I think it is the most important job, what we call the SDR or BDR job or whatever. It just certainly defeats the CEO's job. I can tell you in terms of importance, you could probably replace the CEO with a cardboard cutout for about six weeks and you're not going to notice, right? But if you replace your, your top of funnel Outreach people with cardboard cutouts. Well, it's not good. I mean, we had, we had one of our customers sort of do that once, and well, they fell eleven percent behind plan in about <laughs> twelve weeks, and they decided to go back and do it the other way.
2: Well, weasels in essence are made of cardboard. We could agree on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my next, my next band. Now, when when I when I get done with Connect and sell I'm going to start a band. And it's going to be all all keyboards and they're not going to be hooked up to anything. And we're going to call ourselves the Cardboard Weasels.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Yeah. So, so last question, Valerie, and that the hostage is officially released from the market dominance guys, you know, holding cell here, but you've been a leader in the AISP for so long. You're going to lead the chapter there in, in, in Philadelphia which is no easy task. A lot of folks will say to participate in a chapter is one thing. To actually lead a chapter or be an officer chapter, that is a job in and of itself. So I'm curious just for for kind of our our folks who are listening today is what are you seeing across the chapter that maybe the rest of the country as a leading indicator, maybe either some, some nice technology, some new techniques, some common issues, some common shared wisdom, kind of as the chapter head there What are you seeing that the rest of us should be aware of from from your purview as as an inside sales professional?
3: Hmm. I will say, I'll just contribute this. We are having our third annual conversation on the alignment of sales and marketing. And we've had this obviously for two prior years and now this year. This year, we're actually getting professionals from within corporations, not coaches, not consultants. Or trainers, but people who are actually within the organization who have a responsibility to marketing or to sales, talk about how there's alignment because there's often that conflict, that tension. And I think, especially even in the field that I'm in, which overlaps sometimes sales and sometimes marketing, having that alignment is really, really important. So, that's just been a theme that's been really, really interested, gotten a lot of interest in from the Philadelphia membership so and I think the whole automation of marketing and whether that helps or doesn't help in develop in providing leads is a great topic, and everyone has a different perspective, so anyway, that is what I will leave you with.
0: Yeah. Wow. Can, can I jump in on this? Because this is my favorite topic of all. Yes. Sales and marketing alignment. I think I've probably told the story on Market Dominance. Guys, I'll tell it again. I once asked John Neeson, Serious Decisions founder, what percentage of leads that are generated by marketing ever get a conversation what's the highest number he's ever seen? And he said, 9%. My comeback was, well, I don't think we have a sales and marketing alignment problem. I think we have a leakage problem. And my analogy was this, if I'm at the Talisker distillery in the Isle of Sky and I'm, I'm visiting and I'm taking a look and say I'm, I'm a whiskey distilling consultant and they're showing me their operation, And over here in one building, they're making the mother liquor, which is essentially beer. And it goes up through a pipe that goes along the ceiling and goes over to another building because the stills sometimes blow up. And when they do, you want them far away, right? So it's going over there. And if I witnessed that there was like a flood of the mother liquor coming out of the pipe and 91% of it's on the floor, would I say we have an alignment problem? Or would I say (laughs) we have a leakage problem? (laughs) And I'm pretty sure we have a leakage problem until we're talking to a majority of the leads, probably 50, 60% of them, rather than talking to 9% that are cherry-picked by somebody according to their tastes, really is what it amounts to. In fact, we tend to talk to the 9% that are the easy ones to get a hold of, whereas the best ones are the hard ones to get a hold of because they're busy people. So I'm fascinated by that topic and I have a cure for it that your companies can both provide that I'm going to suggest that you field as a potential product. It's called the VSA Youngblood Works Sales and Al- Marketing Alignment Workshop Guaranteed to Produce Results. And here's what you do. Take the marketing folks and train them to be cold callers and have them do it for a week. Ah! You'll be done. It'll be the most brilliant product on earth. And I guarantee you that all the sales and marketing alignment issues will go away immediately. <laughs> and it's not because they'll, they'll, they'll fail, it's because you'll make them succeed. Yeah. But they'll realize that the language of sales is fundamentally psychological and the language of marketing is fundamentally about where products fit within evolving markets. And they're two completely different worlds and once a marketing person experiences being a salesperson at the top of the funnel, they'll be able to make that distinction and alignment will be easy. So I'm going to beg you guys, please go come up with this product and save the world.
2: <laughs> I don't know if there's enough, mar- 91% of the market, I don't know if it, there's enough leakage yet. You know, let's wait for there's a little bit more pain,
0: right? Well, that was the best case. guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's awesome.
2: Well, Valerie, hey, it's been a pleasure. You're at VSAProspecting.com, one of the pioneers in the space and one of the true experts in the field of Top of Funnel. So really appreciate your time. And again, I think next time we have Valerie on, we'll change it from Market Dominance Guys to something more Market Dominance Legends. How about that with Valerie and Chris? Legends, great. Yes, we
0: appreciate
3: it. This has been delightful, guys. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Valerie. Thank you so much, Valerie. This is just... (laughs) I know we were long in planning this. It was yesterday and then <laughs> today, but uh, hey, all of our planning has paid off.
3: <laughs> Thank you very much. I've, I've really enjoyed it. I've been, liked meeting you, uh, Corey, and this was delightful. All right. All right. Well, Thank you. We're out.
1: Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com